Well, please have your Bible open at the passage that we've just read, and we'll make our way through together this morning. For the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the parables that are found in this chapter. And it's true, isn't it, that the Lord Jesus Christ loved to teach by telling stories. It's interesting, isn't it? He used illustrations about everyday things that people could understand and relate to, the ordinary things of life, farming, growing things, finding things, losing things, ordinary, simple things for the people of the day. And maybe like me, you never forget the description that is given to the parables, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. For these short stories contain great lessons for us, don't they? And the parables focus on the king, his kingdom, and the king's subjects. That's you and me. Sometimes you get all three at once within the same parable. And not all of the parables get explained. So later on in verse 45 in this chapter, we read the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. But there isn't a long explanation like we have in this parable here. And this one gets explained and it's important that we understand the explanation that's given. And perhaps for you, this is one of the best known or maybe the best known of Jesus's parables. And it starts with a huge crowd. Now, when people like me and like some of you get invited to go out to preach, there may be, well, sometimes you don't know what you're gonna find when you go into the chapel. Maybe there's 30 people, maybe there's 40, maybe there's 10 or 15. Once I was asked to go and preach in a church and there were two people there and me, a man and his wife. And for the hymns, the wife went over to play the piano and it was me and the one man in the congregation. And we, of course we had the service. Singing wasn't bad actually for the two of us. And Paul shared with us on Wednesday about his church, smallest church. Do you remember how many members? Five members. Good response to the event that they put on last week. But they're all important to the Lord, aren't they? And we shouldn't be fooled into thinking that a big crowd makes everything okay. We can attract people for the wrong reasons, can't we? But here, as we come to this parable down at the lake shore, there's a huge crowd. And maybe a Liverpool preacher would say, I'm made up to be able to go and preach to a huge crowd. But here there are, and there are so many, that Jesus, as he goes down to the lakeshore, gets into a boat and has the boat pushed out a bit and uses the boat as his stage or his pulpit. Would some looking at that scene say, there's all the signs of success, a great crowd. Last weekend, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people took to the streets of this city to celebrate a game that Liverpool lost the day before and here's this crowd here's this crowd they're coming from all over Luke says in chapter 8 and verse 4 they came from every place every city they're hanging it seems on every word of the Lord Jesus and so what is he going to say is he going to tell them the secret of health or wealth or happiness well no there's no prosperity gospel coming here because at the point in his ministry where great crowds start to gather, the Lord Jesus starts to divide them. 
and starts making them sit back and go, what did he say? He's going to issue them with a challenge. Are you going to follow me from your heart or are you just here for the ride? Are you just following a trend? Are you just here because others are here? Are there other things in your life that are more important to you? Or are you not even interested at all? And the question that dominates this parable is how is your hearing? How are you hearing what Jesus has said and what the word of God says to you today? You probably know what it's like when you're talking to someone and you're not sure if they're listening. With this person over here, there's eye contact, there's intensity, there's concentration, but with this person, they're all over the place. You can tell they're not listening, they're not hearing. Maybe the words are going in, but they're not really hearing you. Just last Saturday at Bala, we thought of the two travellers on the Emmaus Road, walking when the Lord himself appeared. And he talked with them for a while, and it says their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. But then Jesus expounded to them all the things in the scriptures concerning himself. And in verse 31, it said, their eyes were opened and they knew him and they said, did not our hearts burn within while he opened the scriptures to us? Because they heard, they heard the word of God. They heard the voice of the Lord Jesus. And in these parables, we're gonna see that Jesus is the sower. The next parable of the wheat and the tares makes that clear. And yet we are also in the business of sowing seed today, aren't we? Here, as you have chance in the week. And the seed that is sown is the word of God. Luke tells us that specifically in, in chapter 8 of his account. And Matthew describes this for us as the message of the kingdom in verse 19 here. So here we have something about the king and his kingdom. And it's about the response to the proclaiming of God's word and as different people hear it and the different responses that we see. Because Jesus knows that in that crowd that day, they may all listen, but they won't all hear what is said. For some, it won't change them. For some, it won't make any difference to them. They'll walk away from that sermon exactly the same as they were when they came up. He knows that some in the crowd are coming along simply because it's the thing to do. It's popular. There's some who think that they're coming because the Lord can give them a better life, can take away some of their problems. Some, Jesus knows, will give up soon. But some will say, yes, and they will change. And some will love the Lord that bit more than they did than when they came in because the ground that the seed falls on shows us something of the human heart. Now, last weekend, if you could have got into a helicopter and gone above the city, parts of the city, you might have seen a scene like this. It would have just looked red from the helicopter. Although rather strangely, there were a few Everton shirts out that day as well, but there you go. But you would have seen a sea that was red. Now just imagine that helicopter over the crowds that, that, that day. 
Just imagine, bear with me for this picture for a moment, imagine if all of those different colours could have represented the different hearts of the people, the different categories that we're going to see in this parable today. Because Jesus is going to divide these people into four groups. Imagine that they could light up with colour, the grey group, the hard ground, the yellow group, those in shallow soil, the red group, those who are among thorns, the blue group, the good soil. Imagine if you could see, of course, we can't, but the Lord can, and he knows. And so Jesus puts the hearers into four categories. Here's the first, what we see as the hard ground. It's the unresponsive heart. It's the unresponsive heart in verses four and verse 19. Some seed, we're told, as the farmer goes out to sow, or the sower goes out to sow, it falls on the path. The path would have very, very well-trodden down soil. It would have been compacted hard, like a pavement. And the seed that is sown just lies on the surface. Does it take root? No, it doesn't take root. It can't do because the soil is so hard. It has no chance to, to germinate. And the seed, seed just lies there, lying on the path for everyone to see. But it doesn't lie there very long, does it? Because the birds that are flying around in the air swoop down and they just peck it off and the seed is gone. As people who listen to the word of God and their hearts are hard to what they hear. Their ears are working, but there is a coldness in the heart. The message is in and it's straight out. Have you met people like that? Is there someone here like that? Maybe it's a family member, someone who's been to church many times but doesn't now want to know. Maybe as a colleague or a neighbour, maybe you've tried to share with them about your faith, about what the word of God means to us, about what the Lord's death and resurrection means and they just say, no, thank you. There's a hardness in the heart. There's nothing wrong with their ears. There's nothing wrong with their mind. They can understand the words that the preacher says and the words we use, but there's something hard in the heart and the seed of the word of God just lies on the path. Perhaps you've been in a big crowd when someone's giving out flyers, pieces of paper to advertise something. And after a while, about 90, 95% of these flyers just lie on the path or on the grass because people don't want the message that's being given out. And if you do something like door to door or in the open air or Gladstones or the different or beach missions, you will meet someone. You have met someone or people who say, no, thank you. Or some stronger ways. We heard on Wednesday, didn't we, from Paul that somebody came to the church and said, don't give me any more of your literature. I don't want it. Happy to have the pizza menus perhaps, but not the literature from the church, the word of God pushed through their door. And in churches, the preacher preaches the word and there are some people there who have hardened their hearts and the word just sits on the surface. It's like they can brush it off, like it's breadcrumbs. It has no chance of taking root in the heart. They've heard it before and they say, I don't want it. I don't want it. I'm not interested in this God, this Jesus. I would rather walk 
the world's way, for that looks more attractive. The wicked one, the world out there, has snatched the seed away. And we don't want that seed snatched away, do we? Be careful after our services, friends, that we don't cause each other a distraction to have that word snatched away. The word has just been sown. Let it sink in. Let people reflect on it. We don't want it picked off by whatever it is, what you're doing today, what you're doing tomorrow, whether you saw the game last night. There's a seed being sown. Maybe you could think of two or three questions that you could ask someone about the passage, not just today, but any day of what's been preached. And the sower goes on sowing, not put off by the fact that there's some people who just won't listen because he moves on to the second type of heart, the second type of ground, the rocky ground, which we'll call the impulsive heart in verses five to six and 20 to 21, because some of the seed falls on rocky ground where the soil is shallow. Now we know, don't we, that you can plant something, you could plant a seed in just a short inch or two of soil and something might spring up quickly. But you know that many, there's many plants that just won't last if the roots don't go deep enough. They'll wither and they'll die. And so what about these people that are hearing the word? With some people, we know that there's a, there's a quick, there's an instant, an impulsive and enthusiastic response, says verse 20. There's some people that shout, yes, this is great. This is for me. It's marvelous. I want it gives me a great feeling, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back for more. There's been people here or in other churches that we know suddenly appear and they can't get enough and they're at everything. And we heard last Saturday from Stuart Ollier about the disciples on the Emmaus Road and they shouted yes and their hearts were burning, but there was a difference, wasn't there? because in some people the word of God just doesn't take a deep root. They haven't really studied it. They haven't really understood it. They haven't really thought about what will come down the line in life. Spring seems to have come early to this little patch of soil, but there's the heat of a summer to come. There's the cool of autumn and there's the chill of winter. And for the person who says yes, enthusiastically there's still a life of difficulty to face they've still got to go to work and deal with their colleagues they didn't know that being laughed at was part of the deal they've still got to go and be the only christian in class or the only religious guy on the sports team they didn't think that they'd signed up for isolation we've got to face illness we've got to face unemployment we've got to face struggle and some people thought that Jesus was going to take all that away. And so one day in the lives of some, a bit of persecution comes. And the newfound religion, the enthusiasm, it withers, it shrivels, and they walk away. I had a friend many years ago. We used to walk to church together. He came to my wedding. I went to his. He married her. I thought she was a Christian girl. 
we hadn't stayed in very regular touch, but when his fam when they came to stay with us out of the blue some years ago, I thought we'd all be coming to church on Sunday. And he said to me in the kitchen one day, my wife has lost her faith. We had a particular time of trouble in our lives and she won't come anymore. She said, why did God allow this thing to happen to me? It happens. Jesus tells us that this happens. There are stories like that. I can't believe in a God who would do this or allow this. We need to be rooted, grounded, firm and deep in the Saviour's love, don't we? We need to pray. And we need to pray, therefore, for people we know today. For some people, the time is gone. But we need to pray. We need to pray. And the sower keeps on sowing. And we come to the third heart. The ground among thistles and thorns. The preoccupied heart, we'll call it, in verses 7 and 22. And the sower is not put off, even though it's hard work, and even though most of the seed that he scatters won't grow into anything. And now some of it, we're told, falls among thorns. Well, looks better at first, this. Maybe the soil is okay. It's not rocky. It's not that hard. It's not compacted like a path. It's not too shallow. Maybe this is okay. But this ground has other stuff in it. You can't see it at first, but the fact is that this ground, we might say, is pre-occupied. There's already other stuff in there, and it is that other stuff that is going to win the struggle. And Jesus calls them thorns that spring up and choke the seed. What are they, you might ask? Well, he tells us in verse 22. Now he who received the seed among thorns is he who hears the word. But the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. This is very clear, isn't it? The worrying and the focus on this life now and the pursuit of possessions which leads us nowhere. Some people are obsessed with these things, but we must not get these things out of proportion because it can cost you your Christian walk. The cares of this world. Well, often we like to think, what if? What if this happens? What if I get a bad reaction tomorrow when I go into work? What if being a Christian is going to cost me in my career? What about if something bad happens? What if there's illness that strikes? What if something happens to my loved ones? How am I going to bring my children up? What if the price of energy keeps going up and up? What if there's another pandemic? What if COVID wasn't the end of it? How can I trust what I hear out there in, on the world and in the news? All of these types of questions people have, all of these types of issues occupy our minds and we think, what if? What if? Our minds are very powerful, aren't they? They can be incredibly creative and we worry. But surely the answer or the place to go for most of these things is to think well okay what if this thing does happen 
Where are you going to turn and how are you going to respond? The issue to get settled is knowing where you will turn if a problem does come and does even overwhelm you. Can you say and sing with the hymn writer, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whate'er my lot you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. The point you've got to get grounded on is to be confident that it is God who has ultimate power in this world. Yes, there's powerful people. Yes, there's people with influence. Yes, there's a boss who could hire and fire you. Yes, there's money and influence. But one day, all of these people, one day Vladimir Putin and one day Bill Gates and everybody else will have to answer and bow the knee to a holy God. Do you think illness and disease was a surprise to God? Do you think he didn't know about it? Don't let these things choke the word of God. Don't spend all your time worrying about these things to the point where God's word is just gathering dust on your shelf. Didn't we hear in testimony at Bala last weekend, let God be God, trust him. There's the cares of this world and there's the deceitfulness of wealth and riches doesn't matter how much you have because a bit more would always make things better. Oh, we fancy, don't we, that a bit more money would do this or that for us. But he says, the Lord says, it is deceitful. The pursuit of riches and the accumulation of it. It won't satisfy us for long. Ask those who have it. Having vast amounts of money won't make us necessarily any better people. A poor sinner with a lot more money will just become a rich sinner until sin's own sickness is cured. Sometimes they do these programs and they go around and they, they ask people who've won the national lottery some years back, how did it change your life? And a surprisingly high number of them say, I wish I'd never heard of the national lottery. And yet so many people, maybe some of us, Spend time thinking, daydreaming. Wouldn't it be great if we had this? And Jesus says it is deceitful and the ground is preoccupied and they make us unfruitful. A few of you might be old enough to remember a, an athlete called Jonathan Edwards, not the preacher. He was a triple jumper. Little known fact about me is I used to do the triple jump, but we won't go there now but he was very good. He was an Olympic champion for Britain. He was a world champion in and in 1991, he refused to compete in the world championships because it was held on a Sunday. He had a Christian testimony. But not many years later, in 2007, he stated that he'd lost his faith. And he said, he was quoted in the newspapers, I just stopped believing in God. He said, I feel happy, I don't miss it. My wife still attends church, but I don't. Well, what's happened there? Asked the reporter. Well, we can see what's happened there, can't we? Something else has occupied his heart. Something else drives him and possesses him. He doesn't say what it is, but it is something. That's why 
when we sing that relatively new hymn. O great God of highest heaven, occupy my lowly heart. Own it all, not just bits of it. Own it all and reign supreme. Conquer every rebel power. Because when God does that, and we don't neglect him, and we don't resist him, the result is this last type of heart, this last type of soil, the good ground, which is the well-prepared heart in verse 8 and verse 23. Jesus knew that many of the, in the crowd that day would be hard. He knew that many would be shallow. He knew that many would be preoccupied with other things. But some of the seed did fall on good soil. It's an encouragement to us, isn't it? That some of the seed falls on good soil. And in verse 10, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, why are you speaking to this crowd in parables? And Jesus said to them, you see, and you hear, and you understand, you get it. But they don't. They won't. I speak to them in parables, but seeing they don't see, and they hear, but they don't hear, and they don't understand. They can't. And he quotes Isaiah, who was given a message about those who would hear God's word, and the people that Isaiah was going to speak to was people who needed a healing for the same disease of the heart. They were riddled with sin, just as we all are. And these were people who needed to turn. They needed to turn from their wicked ways and back to God's way of living. And Isaiah was to call these people back to the old paths, but many would not listen. And God prepared Isaiah for the fact that there would be people who would hear, but would not turn. As it says here, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and repent. Some will and some won't. But in verse 16, Jesus says, but you understand. There are more clever people. There are more religious people in that crowd. And they won't see. And they don't hear. But you do. And you have. And friends, as we do this work, we know. We know, don't we, that there will be good soil. There will be people who will hear. There will be a crop that is produced. And when the seed is sown, perhaps hundreds of that or thousands of seeds in the, in the story here would get flung around. If we went back to our colours, there'd be the yellow ones over here and the grey ones over here and the red ones over there. But there is some blue seed. There is some seed that will produce a crop. Imagine if the farmer had got his big sack of seed to sow and, he, and he, if he could say, just let me sow the seed that will produce a crop. Imagine if he didn't have to waste time sowing all the seed that would come to nothing. But he doesn't know. And he has to sow it all. And Jesus shows us that this is the response to the gospel. That we will meet hardness. That we will meet exuberance. That we will be weeping as people that we thought were believing friends turn their back on the faith. There will be good soil, though. There will be good soil. We're to know that. We're to believe that. 
We're to thank him for that, that there will be those who will listen to the word and they will take it to heart and they will say, yes, this word speaks to me. I need to respond to this. I need to repent of my sin. I need to turn to Christ. I need to do what this word says. I need what can be produced in my life by this word. And so the question for each of us as we close is what type of soil will you be? Has the word of God already been brushed off? Are you thinking about something else? Is there an enthusiastic response, but one that hasn't quite worked out what cost is to be counted? Are you someone who's trying to balance the word and the world? Or will you be good soil? Will you take the word of God to heart and have it rooted deep within your life and have God produce the kind of fruit, the kind of living that is described as producing 30 or 60 or 100 fold fruit for him?